I uh, tell my wife probably almost every day, I thank God that you were put in my life. And let me say the same thing about our church. I am so pleased to be a part of this fellowship and that God has placed me here at this time. We're reading today from Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 29. Actually, verse 28 is my favorite verse, but we're not going to read that today. Those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. We've been going through the little book by Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life, and Many of our home groups are meeting and they're discussing it during the week. And Carolyn and I have been preaching on the, the topic for that week as well. The first week that Carolyn preached about dealt with, why am I here? What is my purpose? Why am I? And the answer is not to be found in by looking inside of you, despite what some books say. It is not to be found by looking around you at all the things of the world, it is instead to be found only by looking up to your Creator. The God that made you also has a purpose for your life. Now the the first one of those purposes is, uh, is in pleasing God. And the great statement made in the first section was, it's not about you, it is about God. Then in pleasing God, the the next area was in pleasing God through worship. And the worship is not just something that we do as a congregation, it is something that we do in our private lives as well. The second area that we looked at last week was pleasing God in fellowship. The Bible says that Christ loved the church and He gave Himself for it. And so he wants us to have a fellowship one with another in order to be able to serve him better. Today, we're going to be looking at discipleship. And in our text, it talks about being conformed to the image of his son. And that really is a great definition of what discipleship is. God takes you and he makes you in the image of his own son. The word disciple in the New Testament actually is more than just somebody that follows. It is like an apprentice. And as an apprentice, we follow in the steps of the Master while He trains us and He teaches us. And I believe that there are at least three points here. I always have at least three points. First of all, we learn in discipleship the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ. That completely changes the way that we think. Because we no longer have the old mind that sought after what would please it. Uh, as far as bearing a cross, we want the cross naturally to be padded. But with the mind of Christ, that changes our entire orientation. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, we have the mind of Christ. That means 
your entire mind is transformed to become like the mind of Jesus. I was reading about some French scientists and uh, they were studying birds and they found out where the quail's sounds came from in the brain. And so they actually went into the quail's brain, removed a little piece, and put that into five eggs. When the, the chickens began to grow, they did not clock. They cooed instead. They had been transformed just by a little tiny piece. Just think of what we can do and accomplish if we have the full mind of Christ within us. The Holy Spirit begins the process. When we accept Christ into our lives, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. I've had a chance in my life to be there when many people made a decision for Christ. And I found out in each case, the Holy Spirit had already been working on them. And the Holy Spirit begins to change the mind afterward. This last week we had a meeting and we had the deacons and the elders together and people were telling about their faith. And one that spoke up was Martine that is upstairs with the Hispanic group. And Martine is a very impressive young man. He's, he's young because he's a lot younger than I am. And he was giving his testimony and I, I wanted to share his testimony sometime with us because it was like a testimony out of the New Testament. Something that God had done. And I was talking to him a little bit during the break later. And he said, you know, when I was growing up, that I had no father. My father was not there. He said, in my early 20s, I was really depressed. In fact, I was on medication for it. He said, life really had no purpose and meaning. And then Jesus intervened in his life, step by step, in a miraculous way. And he said, you know, after all that was over with, some of my old friends and colleagues said to me, Martin, you are not the same person you were. You are completely different than you were before. That was the mind of Christ had been transforming him and made him who he was not before. The Holy Spirit works on us, but also if we're going to have the mind of Christ, then we know you need to know how Christ was thinking. And you know, Jesus said an amazing thing. He said, I am the truth. Not that he had the truth. He said, I am the truth. And I, I'm not going to try to look at everything that Jesus did. If you want to find out everything about his mind, you have to read the four Gospels again and again. Every time you read it, you'll find out something new about that. But his mind was a mind of compassion. The Bible says he had compassion upon them, upon the people that he saw. And so if they were sick, he healed them. If they were hungry, he fed them. If they were filled with sin and had lived a sinful life, he forgave them and allowed them to start all over again. We have the mind of Christ. We must show that kind of compassion. Then the mind of Christ led him to servanthood. The Bible said that he was rich and he became poor that we might be rich. He said that he came into the world not to be served, but to serve others. 
The great demonstration of that was when he knelt down and he actually washed the dirty feet of his disciples. A servant. He said, if you want to be the greatest in heaven, it is not because you are necessarily a great preacher. Not because you have all kinds of talents. It is because you are the greatest servant. I don't know who is going to have the right and left hand of Jesus when we get up to glory. It's not going to be me. It's liable to be some obscure man or woman that was a great servant of Him. In Russia, there is a man by the name of Valerie. Valerie, his mind works fine, but he's always in pain. He his body from the neck down is not functional. He's in a wheelchair in constant pain. And there was an Italian doctor and a Chinese doctor, and they got together, and they've been working on head transplants. The idea is that they would take Valerie and they would sever his head and put it on a donor body. And Valerie agreed to it for a while. <laughs> now they've been successful with monkeys and with dogs severing the spinal column and putting it back together and the dogs actually can walk afterwards. But they haven't done this yet with a human being. So Valerie was the guinea pig. But Valerie changed his mind. He, he said he fell in love and it was just too great of a risk because now he had a purpose in his life. God takes our minds and He changes us. It's like we have a new person there. We're not like we were before. We have been altered and transformed by the Holy Spirit of God and by the example that Jesus set. Each and every day, we want that new mind to be operational. I have a watch that tells me how far I walk. I want to walk every step with Christ even though I do not. Secondly, not only do we learn the mind of Christ, we walk the path of Christ. 1 Peter 2.21 says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. You know the phrase, walking with the Lord is used throughout the Bible in 1 John a couple of times. In the Old Testament, there were those that walked with God. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Uh, Enoch was a man that walked with God, and he walked so closely to God that eventually God just took him. He never died. Noah was said to have walked with God. And in the New Testament, when Jesus went and He called each one of His disciples, He said, Come and follow Me. We live a life where we want to follow Him in everything. Now, I want to give you, tell you one of the stories that's well known to you. <clears throat> that is, uh, Jesus had gathered His disciples at Caesarea Philippi. And it was a time of resting, and He asked His disciples, He said, Whom the men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they went through the popular list of the day. There were those that said, uh, some are saying you're Jeremiah. Oh, 
others say you're Elijah or John the Baptist having come back from the dead or some other prophet. Then Jesus asked him, whom do you say that I am? And Peter, who was in the habit of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, on this occasion said the right thing. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. And then Jesus said right after that, I need to go to Jerusalem to die. And Peter said, no, 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 Lord, that's not the way. And the one that Jesus had just spoken to and commended for his great faith, now he says, get behind me, Satan. You see, Peter tried to do what we try to do. And that is, we say, oh, I'm not going to follow your steps, Jesus. I want you to follow in mine. It doesn't work that way. Because you have a transformed mind, your walk is to be with the Lord. You follow Him wherever He leads you. Whatever might be for you. You may not even understand all the commitment that you're making. But you have a determination to walk with Jesus wherever He goes. When I was a teenager, I read for the first time a book by Charles Sheldon, written, I think it was 1898 called In His Steps. It was actually written by a pastor and it was first put in the newspaper in, in a series and evidently he did not get it copyrighted and so shortly after that people began to print the book all over the world and it became the bestseller uh, of the whole century other than the Bible. And he said he was glad that that happened anyway. But in the book, uh, pastor reaches the disturbing conclusion that the church is not really following Christ. They had a crisis. And so he challenged the people. He said, are you willing to ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do for all the situations that you face? There are people with money and with talents, and many of them agreed to that pledge to change their lives. In fact, a couple of years ago, or a few years ago, the, the kids would wear a little band on their wrist, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Coming from that book. What would Jesus do? I was thinking yesterday that there are over 2 billion people that call themselves Christians around the world. What would happen? every one of those Christians every one of us decided that we were going to follow Christ no matter where it led that we would follow Christ no matter what the cost we would follow him and him alone many of us are not really interested in that and Rick Warren says God is not interested in your comfort he is not interested in your career. He is interested in your character. Are you willing to follow Christ wherever He leads? That leads us to our third point. We die on the cross with Christ. 
Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny yourself? We don't really get into that so much. I don't want to deny myself. I want to enjoy. That's why I came to Ahihi. I wanted a place with a great climate. I wanted a place that I could afford and live as well as possible. But that's not what Jesus called us to do. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Some weeks ago I referred to Christians in Iran. <clears throat> a Muslim country that is fanatical in their faith to the point where if a Christian tries to lead somebody else to Christ, they will be put to death. And yet, in the midst of that hardship and that persecution, uh, there are Christians that are willing to sacrifice everything. In fact, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran, where the greatest persecution is. And it's led primarily by women. They know the persecution that they will face. And one of the women said, I know what's going to happen with me if I lead somebody to Christ. First of all, she said, I'm going to be raped. Then I will be beaten. And finally, I will be put to death. But she does it anyway. And what they do is they said, they're not looking for converts. They are looking for disciples. A convert may turn away. But a disciple of Christ never will. Jesus talked about the cost of following him. And it's never cheap. And he said, don't make a start unless you know what the cost is. And he talked about a man building a tower. He said, the man wouldn't start or should not start a tower unless he knows that he has the funds to finish it unless he lives in Mexico. He said, if you do that, and you have a half-finished project, then people are going to laugh at you. Of course. In uh, the area where I was chaplain and assistant warden at a prison, just a, a mile or two away, there was this huge house. And I was curious about that house, and you know, I, I even drove in sometimes to look at it. There was nobody living there. And I said, well, how did this come to be? And I was told, well, there was a couple and they started building this house. And they ran out of money and so it stopped there. Hurricane Katrina came only 15 miles or so from that house. It was not fully constructed and so the whole big, huge house collapsed. They started it without counting the cost. There is a cost. If you're going to follow Christ with all your heart, soul, and mind, there will be a cost. You may or may not have to give up your life. We've talked before about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he was a pastor during the time that Hitler was running Germany. and The Nazis were in control. And most of the pastors kept silent. They knew what was going on, the extermination of many Jews and other people, and yet he spoke out against it. During that time, he actually went to the United States. 
And some people said, you, you shouldn't be going back there. But he, but he insisted, no, I need to go back. And sure enough, he was seized and he was placed into a concentration camp. And he was put to death just a few weeks before Germany surrendered. He said, when God calls a man, He bids him to come and die. Not always physically, but we're always called to die. We talked about meeting this week a little bit about the baptism. And it is agreed by most of the reformers that baptism in the New Testament was by immersion. And there's an important point to be made there. In Romans 6, he describes the meaning of baptism. And part of it is, when a person is lowered into the water, it portrays his death. And when he comes out of the water, that portrays his being raised to a new life in Christ. When you become a believer, you die. You die to yourself. You die to your sins. And you die to the world around you because you are going to follow Christ no matter what the cost. Are you willing to give up everything for Christ? <laughs> what about your family? Jesus said you have to hate your family, not literally. And what he's saying there is that you have to love God more even than your family. And many Christians have lost their families when they became believers. Would you be willing to do that if you lost your friends? What if you lost your money, your job, your reputation? Are you willing to give all of that up for the sake of Christ? Jesus said, to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Him. Dr. Aletha Bell is a Canadian. She went to medical school and while she was in medical school she felt that God was calling her to be a medical missionary. But when she graduated she actually moved to, to India to one of the poorest provinces of all. And while she was there she helped bring about the healing of many people. They had tremendous respect for her, even though she was in a Hindu area. She lived in a little tiny cubbyhole. She wore the clothes of the people that were there. She ate the same food that they ate. The pastor that went, you know, was talking about why she had done that. She gave up so much leaving Canada to go to India. And it was because Christ had called her. He also said about her something that was strange. He said, he was the happiest, most joyful person that he had ever seen. Her joy came by making the sacrifice for Christ. Not just sacrificing one thing, but sacrificing all for him. With me as we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the Holy Spirit of God. And Lord, we pray that we might have the commitment of disciples, that we will have the mind of Christ, we will walk the path of Christ, and that we will die on the cross with Christ. 
Oh God, we love You. We praise You. We thank You for bringing us here today. Be with and bless our families, especially those that are not following You. We pray that Your Holy Spirit will not let them rest until they find peace in You. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.